Mr. Squidward. Welcome to the night shift. At long last, everybody, we finally haven't opened up a uh, open Saturday to bring you folks back the MI6 Sports Network's late night sports talk show. That, of course, folks, is the night shift on this Saturday evening, June 26, 2021, alongside our resident uh, sports fan and late night owl of the MI6 Sports Network host team, our good man Isaiah Leung, back at the home studios in Fremont, California. Yours truly, Comicler, joining you folks here from the home studios here in San Diego, California. Isaiah, glad to have you back inside of your home base after your stint at the community college earlier this week. Good to see you, though, man. How are we doing tonight on this Saturday evening? Oh, I'm doing good, Cal, and I'm so thankful that I'm not doing the show from the community college, man, because I felt like uh, while we were there, I think I got bit by some things, and, you know, I had, like, an allergic reaction, so it was so bad. But glad to glad to be back, you know, um, at home doing a show here at what 10:30 p.m. Pacific time instead of uh 12 a.m. I was doing it like on my trip to Houston or Texas. But uh, great to be home. You know it's a great great day in sports, man. I'm kind of bummed because my Oakland A's. You know they had a four to two lead after Matt Chapman hit that home run, the two run homer into the right field arcade at Oracle Park. I was you know jumping up and down, and then the bullpen comes in and craps the bed. So I I I just you know I'm speechless right now. This isn't the first blown game of the day for me. You know my Phillies blew it. Now my A's blow it. It seems like both of my teams have absolute rubbish bullpens that you would make a better reliever than any of those relievers out there pitching for them. So it's been a very disappointing day, but hey, glad to do the show and glad that my man Devin Booker is one win away from the NBA Finals. I never thought that I would ever, ever be able to say that. I don't think I would either. At this rate, though, folks, of course, the night shift is on air for the next hour or so, bringing you folks again the Cliff Notes version of your sports. Again, I know we've been away for a while, though, because again, we've had some you know, scheduled conflicts over the summer with Saturdays and Sundays and moving the puzzle pieces around. But again, folks, give us your thoughts, though. Your live input, your questions, your comments, your concerns, hot takes, cold takes, learning takes throughout the course of the program. We'll do our absolute best to read your commentary live on the air this evening here on this Saturday night. Again, plenty of coverage with the NBA uh, pro baseball, college baseball today, obviously a very big controversial uh, controversial story we'll get to in college baseball a little bit later. And also plenty of other great things going on, including a little Olympic discussion as we get very close to the opening ceremony for the Olympic Games in just over 28 days, roughly in Tokyo, Japan. couple of quick comments. Our good man, Brandon Herrera, from our great friends over at the Coast to Coast Entertainment Network, saying what's up, Callan, and the king of flip-flopping, my, uh, my favorite team's Mr. Isaiah Leung, Casey King, tuning in, saying hello, guys, and good evening to you guys as well. And good to have the night, sh uh, night shift back on air. And Isaiah, I thought you'd be on at Oracle Park cheering on your A's. We need your A's to pull it off tonight for the Giants to lose. I wanted to go, Casey, but unfortunately, the tickets are super expensive right now. I think I checked um, the lowest or the lowest priced ticket for this weekend's Giants and A's ticket 
was a whopping 120, 125 bucks. So it, it's I, I just don't have the money at this time. The only good thing about that, though, that shows you though, that both teams are great. Both teams are playing great ball. Fans are coming back out to the ballparks, finally at full capacity and stuff like that. And, of course, uh, Christy Wilson always tuning in, saying hello. And, of course, Christy, we thank you as always for tuning in and joining us here tonight on the program. Of course, Isaiah into the NBA postseason. Suns and Clippers, a knockout, dragout game number four from, St from Staples Center in downtown Los Angeles. It is the Suns holding off the Clippers in a very sloppy affair, 84-80. This marks the second lowest scoring game for a team that won a postseason game this season as the uh, Suns win 84-80. And now take a commanding three, uh, three games to one lead with one more win. The Suns would go back to the NBA playoffs or the NBA Finals, I should say, for the first time in 28 seasons if they can hold off and win on Monday night back home at Phoenix Suns. But again, it's a 84-80 win for the Suns over the Clippers. And again, Isaiah, this game just looked to be a battle of attrition between two ball clubs who literally look like they're on their last leg of even staying afloat here in regards to turnovers, missed shots, and free throws. And again, though, Isaiah, I think the telling shot, though, of this entire series has got to be Paul George missing that first free throw, and you see Steve Ballmer go just like this. Like, Steve, you should have known what you got yourself into buying this franchise because, again, this, you know, very, you know, tortured history of this organization continues to, you know, kind of come to fruition in the postseason. Sadly, again, though, uh, Isaiah, you can call it a curse, bad luck, a stroke of bad luck, though, but again, with the Clippers, with no Kawhi Leonard, again, he's, he, again, he's done for the entire postseason. Paul George can't obviously carry this ball club. And again, for the second game of this series, though, Paul George crumples under the pressure. He literally could have put, you know, put game two basically in the refrigerator. He misses both free throws. And of course, then the now uh, famous Valley Oop is uh, scored by DeAndre Ayton at the final buzzer to win game two. They win game three. But then, of course, though, game four, it boils down to, again, free throws. And once more, Paul George crumples under the pressure. Chris Paul, cool as the other side of the pillow and the other side. And the Suns are, again, one win away from their first finals appearance in 28 seasons. When, of course, they had to face Michael Jordan and the Bulls in the 93 finals. But Isaiah, very sloppy game. And, I, and again, I don't want to say that this is just more so two teams who, are, who, who, who look like that they're basically on their last leg. But just like two teams, though, man, who have just been in a war this entire uh, series. And they've had to go through a gauntlet of great teams like the Lakers and the Nuggets, and, you know, the Jazz, even for the Suns, though. And I think, though, that Sammy Sharp was right, though, Isaiah. Between the two teams, the Suns took the more difficult route to get to the uh, the conference final. Reason why? They faced the, the, the defending conference and NBA champs and the Western Conference runners-up in Denver in round two, where the Clippers had to only play one very tough team, and that was the Jazz. Yeah, the, uh, the Mavericks then were close, but again, Utah, who I actually called a fluke, Isaiah, in the group chat, I said that the Jazz were a fluke because, you know, hey, it's a number one seed. Yeah, big deal. But are they even going to, you know, is it going to last, though? And again, though, I say, sadly, when you win and peak too early, you're bound to go down in the postseason. And sadly, that was the case with Utah, though. But Isaiah, you know, I think, though, that a lot of people are right, though, that the Suns may have taken, you know, the harder path again. You know, the defending NBA champs, defending conference champs in the Lakers, the Western Conference uh, Finals runners-up in the Nuggets to get to where they're at, though. And again, the Clippers, again, playing Dallas, playing the Jazz. But I think those well, though, that with the Clippers, they've had to play two straight, you know, long series. You know, seven games with uh, uh, with uh, with Dallas. 
you know, uh, seven games or six games with the Jazz uh, to win that one. So again, like a longer stretch of games, though. But I think, though, I say that more importantly, though, for the Suns, though, again, one more win to get that 28-year monkey off their back and go back to the finals and hopefully win for the first time in franchise history. But again, though, Isaiah, this game, though, sloppy. Again, very, very, you know, out of control with turnovers, bad free throw shooting down the stretch zone. Again, just, I think, though, a, you, know, a, a, you know, a final two minutes, though, that carried on forever and went so far deep. But Isaiah, your thoughts, though, as the Suns win the game and, again, move within one win of the finals. Well, Callan, after the game was over, I went to my local gas station, got myself a large can of Mountain Dew to celebrate on this show. Yes, great, great drink. I got this Mountain Dew to celebrate um, the Phoenix Suns and Devin Booker being one win away from reaching the NBA Finals. You know, like I said in the beginning, never in my wildest dream. Ever since Devin Booker got drafted, never did I think that he would be one win away with the Phoenix Suns from reaching the NBA Finals. You know, the Phoenix Suns have been awful the last, you know, 10, 11 years. And it's just amazing how Monty Williams and James Jones, the GM of the Phoenix Suns, have turned this team around along with Devin Booker and along with Chris Paul as well. So my hats go out to them uh, for turning this Suns team around. But in terms of this game, Callan, this showed the resiliency of the Phoenix Suns. You know, a lot of you know, a lot of things have been said about this Phoenix Suns team. They're really good with Booker and Paul. They're really good as an offensive ball club. They're really great as a defensive ball club. They're well coached as well. But the one thing that I don't think a lot of people have said about this Phoenix Suns team or have talked about is the resiliency of this team. You know, no matter how many points they're down by, there's no quit in this ball club. And that's what I'm really impressed by, by this Phoenix Suns ball club. You know, normally you expect a young team that is uh, first year or first time in the playoff, you would expect them to fold under the pressure and fold whenever it's a close game with about two minutes left. And the Phoenix Suns, they haven't uh, folded in either of their series that they were either down in the final couple of minutes or it was a close battle, close tight battle in the final couple of minutes or, you know, they were just up by one or two. You know, they have stood up to the challenge and they have fought their way to a win. And that's what I'm really impressed by, by the Suns team. They they were tremendous defensively tonight. The Clippers were ice cold from three. I don't know why Paul George and company decided to jack up you know, so many threes when they were just ice cold. I kept screaming at my TV, Cal, and I was like saying, don't jack up threes. You guys can't make a three to save your life. So why not drive to the cup and get some easy twos or drive, you know, to the free throw line, get some mid ranges or, or draw fouls to get some buckets and get some rhythm going. But the Clippers just for some reason just kept driving kept uh, jacking up threes, which made no sense whatsoever. And the Suns were just like, fine, you guys can jack up as many threes as you guys want because we know you're not going to make them since you haven't been making it the whole, making them the whole night. And they kept missing three after three after three. And the Suns just kept capitalizing on it. And I think, you know, towards the end, yes, it was the missed free throws, but it was Chris Paul's calming leadership that helped propel the Suns to this win. You know, like I said in the beginning, the Suns, 
they could have easily crumbled because Devin Booker had fouled out with, I believe, a minute and 40 seconds left in the ball game. And I, and I was thinking like, oh, my gosh, man, the Suns are going to blow this game. They're going to lose because their top scorer is out of the game. Their top player is out of the game. Who's going to step up now? And you saw in that final one minute and 45 seconds, Chris Paul calms the Suns down. He, he goes to the free throw line multiple times. He was fantastic defensively, and he was one of the big keys as to why the Phoenix Suns are now one win away from going to the NBA Finals. I think it's a mixture of Chris Paul's leadership, and again, props to him for coming back off the COVID protocols or out of the COVID protocols and getting the team you know, back on track and helping out, and especially I think that with Book fell, uh, fouling out, there was still that much time left, though, and this game was still very close. When D-Book fouled out of his ball game, and it was still, you know, tight, two-point game, one-point game, three-point game, though. I will say, though, Isaiah, that, that the only, I think, knock that D-Book gets, though, mainly more so in this postseason, he's running his mouth too much. And again, I, 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 I have nothing against it, though. But, Sally, you got to remember, though, these referees, though, are watching a lot of these guys, like Booker and Doncic, that they, that they watch these young kids very, very close because they haven't really built that reputation yet to kind of be able to pop off at other guys or start scuffles. And I think, though, that's Sally, though, I say is what kind of I think has probably been a knock against D-Book in his career that was kind of been, hey, man, you're young. You got some maturing to do, man. You can't just pop off and keep trying to pick fights with people and get technical fouls in very, very bad spots. Would you agree? Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Um, you know, I there was one instance, I think it was in the fourth quarter, when Paul George drives to the lane and Devin Booker gets called for a foul and he angrily shoves Paul George. And I was just thinking to myself, oh my gosh, you know, frustration is boiling over. This might be the, the, the boiling point where the Suns end up, or the turning point where the Suns end up losing the game. Um, that was, I think, totally unnecessary by Booker. I get, you know, it's in the heat of the moment, but still, you got to keep your calm. Because that play turned from a two uh, two free throws for uh, Paul George into four free throws plus the technical fouls as well. So you you got to keep your emotions in check, especially in the playoff. You know, and this Clippers team they. They like to get into the skin of their opponent. You know, Patrick Beverly, uh, Paul George, even Nicholas Batum at times, even Terrence Mann. They like to get into the skin of their opponents. And if you let them get into the get into your skin, they are going to rattle you. And that's how the Clippers, I feel like, always beat their opponents at first. It's based on the mental game. Totally. And I think that just, you know, a thing that, you know, that, that books have to kind of uh, jump over a little bit. Now, Isaiah, from the Suns' perspective, now to the Clippers. And now it's just like, you know, man, here we go again, talking about the LA Clippers in a playoff series, you know, about to lose another series. And, you know, once again, the Clippers, you know, in the shadow of the of the almighty Lakers, are going to once again, more than likely, fall flat on their face once again. And you know, Isaiah, I wrote this to the group chat because I was watching the last, I'd say, minute or so of the game. I think the last 15 seconds. You could tell how one-sided staple center was in the waning moments and i wrote to the group and i think i and i think i'm probably spot on here though it seemed to me that anytime the clippers were at the free throw line or they missed a shot you heard this loud thunderous cheer this literally felt like it was the dodgers playing the diamondbacks in phoenix arizona where it was all dodger fans this to me just this to me just seems like Laker fans got a little, had a little pettiness here, had a little fun. Laker fans bought tickets to this game wearing Clippers gear 
but we're cheering for the Suns. That literally, Isaiah, is how I felt about that last 15 seconds because it literally seemed like, man, when Chris Paul was at the line, the building was quiet. When he would make the free throws, everyone erupted. But when Paul George went to the line on two separate occasions late in the game, it was like he was shooting in a opposing arena. Isaiah, I don't know if you caught that, man, but I think, though, that that probably might be a little bit of, you know, weird fanhood or weird, you know, gamesmanship, though, that it's that it literally sounded like it was a Clipper road game in their own building. Would you agree, man? Oh, definitely. Um, I I'm glad that I wasn't the only one that, you know, uh, that took it like that. Uh, that it was a Clipper road game. Because like you said, Callan, when Paul George went to the line, normally when he goes to the line at the Clippers arena, you know, everybody's quiet. But when he went to the line, it was like uh, the fans were making so much noise. And I think, you know, the noise might have been a factor as to why he got or he missed a couple of those free throws. I don't think it was uh, the major or the main factor, but I think it had to, it had something to do with it. But, you know, as far as the Clippers are concerned, you know, it just seems like the Clippers, every time something good happens to them, uh, something bad also happens to them. You know, like they get Kawhi Leonard and they get Paul George. What happens? The, the locker room, there's no chemistry whatsoever. And then they choke a three to one lead to the Denver Nuggets in the second round of the Western Conference playoffs last season. And they lose that one. And then this year, you know, they they seem like they were on the right track. They had come all the way back. They beat Dallas and then come all the way back again uh, to tie the series against the Jazz. And then the next day, breaking news, Kawhi Leonard is going to be out indefinitely with a knee injury. So it just seems like the Clippers, every time something goes great for them, you have a couple of things go wrong for them. And this franchise, like, they just seemed so, so cursed. Um, and as a Laker fan, you know, I love it. But I feel bad for, like, some of my Clipper fans that are friends or that are friends of mine that are Clipper fans, I feel so bad for them because you can see their pain that they go through like every single year. Now, Isaiah, that does kind of bring up the question, though, about what exactly do the Clippers do if, in fact, they lose on Monday and they are eliminated in the conference final? Again, this is their first ever conference final appearance in franchise history. But again, that goes back to Buffalo in San Diego for the Clippers organization. But certainly, Isaiah... Questions, I believe, become raised, though, about what is the immediate future, though, of this Clippers ball. Because I think, though, with Steve Ballmer's reaction to Paul George missing those free throws late in the game kind of told you the whole story of, like, man, what do we have to do to get over this, you know, over this hurdle? Well, for one thing, there's no first-round pick for the Clippers till I believe, 2027 or 2028. Paul George has that long-term extension now signed. Kawhi Leonard may just up and, you know, choose to get up and leave when the series ends and go somewhere else. Maybe to the Lakers, who knows, or go somewhere else to help out with another franchise and perhaps leave and, and again, leave that that uh, that uh, that team behind. And then, you know, Batum and Patrick Beverly and, and, you know, guys like that. Isaiah, if in fact the Clippers do, in fact, lose on Monday, what do you believe the future holds for the Clippers? Again, knowing, knowing that there is no first round draft pick for the next several years and you sadly have that Paul George contract on the books for the next, you know, four to six years, roughly. Well, Callan, I'll put it to you flat. Uh, I'll put it to you straight. The Clippers are screwed because, like you said, they don't have draft picks for what the next seven years. Is that correct, Callan? It's pretty long. I know that. I don't know the exact number, but I know it's very long. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's something like that. They don't have like a first round pick for a long, long time. They still got that Paul George contract on their books. And it's like, I don't know what you can do, you know, like even if you, you can't really do a significant change up of your roster because if like you don't have the flexibility to do that. So if I'm the Clippers and if I'm Steve Ballmer, Callen, to be honest with you, I would let Kawhi Leonard walk because I think the Clippers, they've looked like a far better team without Kawhi Leonard than with Kawhi Leonard on the floor. You know, you've seen it uh, against the Jazz. You've seen it against the Phoenix Suns. You know, guys like Terrence Mann, guys like um, Nicholas Batum, guys like Patrick Beverly, they're playing much, much better without Kawhi Leonard on the basketball court. And I think that they have um, a different rhythm and a different uh, free flowing on offense whenever Kawhi Leonard is not on the court. So like this might sound like super ridiculous, but I would let Kawhi Leonard walk out the door. Um, I just think the Clippers, you know, are a better team, honestly, without him. I would try to, you know, try to put some pieces around Paul George. Maybe you can try to win it that way with better chemistry. It seems like the Clippers have, you know, without Kawhi Leonard. Um, and also, Callan, if I'm the Clippers, I don't know, like, the exact salary cap the Clippers are at right now. But if the Clippers let Kawhi Leonard walk, and this I think might be the most far-fetched idea I've ever thrown on this show. Um, and that is, I think what the Clippers do should do is I know Chris Paul is going to be a free agent after, or he has an option, which I think he's going to opt out. He has uh, maintained that he is going to opt out. I think what the Clippers should do is I think they should pursue Paul, uh, Chris Paul because I think the Clippers have shown they need a floor general. It's like why I don't want Kawhi Leonard with Jimmy Butler in Miami because the Heat, they don't need another forward. They need a guy that is a floor general that can get guys the ball at the right spots. And I think that's what the Clippers are clearly lacking right now. They tried Rondo. That didn't work out. Um, Beverly, he's not you know a typical point guard of floor general. So I think that Chris Paul would make more sense for the Clippers than a Kawhi Leonard. So Isaiah, I did some quick research about the um, potential outgoing draft picks from the Clippers. And here they are outgoing. So this means that, they, that these were all done in trades or whatnot. So outgoing 2021 second round pick to Charlotte, 2022 first rounder to Oklahoma City. Their 2023 first-round pick to Oklahoma City with a swap uh, added. Their 2024 first-round draft pick also to Oklahoma City. And their 2025 first-round pick to OKC also could have a swap as well. They also are giving OKC a 2026 first-round pick and a second-round pick to Atlanta in 2027. They only have four incoming draft picks. One includes one from the Kings in 2022 and two and three from Detroit in 2024, 2025, and 2026. So literally one, two, three, four, five. Five first-round picks all to Oklahoma City between 2022 and 2026. Wow, unbelievable. So they, so they don't have a first-round pick this year then. Am I correct, Callan? It does not appear to be per the research I just did. I do believe they actually have a first-round pick and I believe they're picking 25th per the lottery results. Oh, okay. So 
Yeah, I mean, you don't really have that much flexibility. So what I would do is I honestly would let Kawhi Leonard walk because I think Kawhi Leonard, if he walks, you can use that money that you save from letting him walk. Uh, instead of giving him the max, you can use that money and you can spread spread it around your team and, you know, either pay guys and re-sign guys on your current roster or get guys that can help you build a team around Paul George. Because, you know, even though we give Paul George a lot of flack for his postseason performances, the guy has shown that without Kawhi Leonard, he can carry the Clippers. I don't know how far he can carry the Clippers too, but he has shown that, you know, he can carry the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard. And I think that if you just put pieces around him, like shooters around a good three point shooters around him and, you know, other great defensive players around him, I could see the Clippers maybe being a formidable threat around Paul George and be better than, uh, a Paul George and Kawhi Leonard ball club. Isaiah, I have one very loony idea about Kawhi Leonard possibly leaving. And again, this is just kind of based off of his career. Again, he goes to the Spurs, helps them win there, leaves for a small market team in Toronto with via betrayed. He helps them win a championship there. He comes to a small market team. I know it's in LA, but again, a you know, second fiddle, you know, basically, you know, the JV team, as it was, as they've been called for so on the Clippers, and try to turn that franchise around. Isaiah, and Isaiah, I know that you said that maybe he'd work in Miami. This may sound stupid, Isaiah, but what about if Kawhi end up going to Milwaukee to help out with Giannis? I think, though, as we know, though, about Middleton, you know, some of those guys kind of being on the back end of their career, though. But if Kawhi's already had, you know, successful runs in San Antonio, but also a successful run, I'd say, as well in Toronto, that was for like a year or two, you know, maybe. Again, I don't know if it really works out, though, but I think, though, Isaiah... Could a team like Milwaukee or a you know a team kind of like the Bucks though who maybe need that secondary star though maybe in a small market you know like for example in Milwaukee maybe in Miami who knows though but could there be a suitor like you know just for example like Milwaukee who probably could you know perhaps extend Leonard a contract though I think would probably hurt their cap space just knowing about Giannis's deal though I think you would have to take less to make that happen because I think right now the Bucks, their salary cap is full right now with Giannis's max deal. Um, you have Drew Holiday's big contract. And also I think Middleton is also, he's got a big contract as well. So I think between those three, they take up a large amount of that salary cap. And I just think that if he, Kawhi were to go to Milwaukee, I think he would have to take much, much less than the max that he would want in free agency. Plenty of thoughts though, Isaiah, about this game tonight. First and foremost, Casey King saying crazy second half and of course a sloppy second half. Casey further adds on, I think the Clippers are done, fellas. Without Kawhi Leonard, going to be tough to come back on the Suns, and the Suns are for real. They certainly are, and probably, I don't know, Isaiah, there, there's been two very good Suns ball clubs, and you know maybe three you know very good Suns ball clubs, not including this one. The 76 team that, of course, lost to the Celtics in the finals. Of course, the 93 team that lost to the Bulls, though. And also, you know, the Steve Nash era, you know, they got to the conference finals, but never got over the hump, though. But certainly this year's team, though, may not be the number one team in my mind. I think it still goes to the 93 bulk of They're certainly, I think, close, though, at this at this rate right now. Isaiah, you're muted, buddy. I would say, you know, they are close uh, because I think that this Suns team right now is very promising. You know, I I 
think it was a couple of weeks ago on um I think it was Speak Out when me and you we both went we went both went on Speak Out with Adam and Trey and I said that this Phoenix Suns team they remind me a lot like the Golden State Warriors before like during their first year, you could see the chemistry between um, the, the team. You could see, you know, they had a young player, a young budding star, Stephen Curry breaking out. Devin Booker, I think, is doing the same thing. And then, you know, you could just you could just see that there was something about this team that made them special. And I so see a lot of the similarities between that Warriors team and this Phoenix Suns ball club. Christy Wilson also adds, I remember the 93 finals well, even though I was happy that the Bulls won, felt terrible for Charles Barkley and for Phoenix. And also Christy says, Isaiah, great drink choice. I approve as well. Uh, Brandon Herrera is back. He's saying, wait a minute. Is Isaiah claiming that the Suns are his team? No, Brandon, I'm not claiming the Suns are my team. I'm just a big Devin Booker fan. I've been a big fan of his ever since he was drafted, I believe like six years ago. You know, I wanted him on the Lakers when the Lakers had that seventh pick. I was pissed off that the Lakers drafted Julius Randle. And, you know, you know, it's it sucks that we drafted Julius Randle because now if we think about it, we had Devin Booker instead of Julius Randle with Devin Booker and LeBron eventually coming. Who knows what that team might have done. But, hey, good for Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns doing what they're doing right now. I just have his jersey because I met the guy. Very, very, you know, very shy. Again, you know, here's a here's an 18-year-old kid out of at, just out of college trying to, you know, new city. He's at a baseball game. You know, he's sitting a section away from me by the pool. And we're, we're in line for Chinese food. And I'm like, can I get a photo when this is all said and done? We were talking shop a little bit. And a great guy. And again, I'm hoping for the best for him. Casey also says that uh, the Suns are a fun team to watch. And I hope they win it all. Love watching DeAndre Ayton play. He just uh, continues to get better and better. Again, we're all rooting for small market teams here. So it is what it is. So Phoenix, Milwaukee. You know, Bucks and Suns, you know, either it's either this Isaiah's favorite player gets validation or my other or my guy Giannis gets validation if it's Milwaukee versus Phoenix. But either way, we're all rooting for small markets here. So it is what it is right now. Casey also says the Clippers will always be second field to the Lakers. The Suns have a good fan base here in Arizona and have always had good support. Definitely for sure. Casey also says, I think that Kawhi opts out of his contract with the Clippers and he does not see uh, uh, does not see. Uh, Chris Paul returning to the Clippers. I think he stays in Phoenix and he seems to like it here. Definitely could be, a, I think though, Isaac could be a case though of him opting out and then coming back like what Anthony Davis did uh, with his contract and player option. Yeah, I could see that. But Callan, if I'm the Phoenix Suns, I would not give him, I think he's about to make $44 million per year. And I think either the salary cap, I don't know like the exact numbers, but I think Chris Paul could be in line for a deal that would pay him annually 40 to 50 million per year. And I, if I'm the Phoenix Suns, I love Chris Paul to death, but I would not give him a contract worth 50 million per year. I think that's just a wee bit too much. And who knows how that payroll is down there too. Again, small market syndrome, sadly down there in Phoenix. Casey says, fellas, here's one more of the worst Clippers trades of all time, all the way back in 83, 84. They drafted Byron Scott, dealt him to the Lakers for an aging Norm Nixon. The great Jerry West pulled off that trade as Lakers GM and Byron Scott turned out to be a great key for the Lakers, and Norm Nixon became injury-prone with the Clippers. A new viewer of the program, Corey Goodrich, says he believes it's over and that the Suns got a very good team. They certainly do. And I think, though, Isaiah, your point about the Warriors, I'd say it's about, like, the Suns and the Padres, for example, 
star players, you know, like, you know, superstar veterans, like, you know, like Paul, for example, I would throw book in there, young kids like Aiton, you know, Cameron Payne, you know, again, a good mixture of veterans and, and again, a good, and a, again, a good mixture too of, of, of young kids as well on that roster. I could, I could see it. You know, that you could see on the bench that they're having fun, you know, after the games, after they're like, they won, they were FaceTiming Chris Paul. I think it was book. Uh, it was Aiden and Cameron Payne as well. So you could see the camaraderie of this ball club. Um, and you could just see like how they just love each other and have great chemistry and love playing with one another. So again, folks, the Suns defeat the Clippers tonight from Staples Center, 84-80. The Suns now lead three games to one, and will look to close out the series and win their first conference title in 28 years as they head back home with a three-games-to-one leader. And also, Isaiah, props to Chris Paul for saying he does not want to talk about having that 3-1 lead because we know, of course, he's had some bad luck with 3-1 leads in his career, sadly. Oh, good for him. You never want to talk like whether whether it's Chris Paul or even LeBron James, you never want to talk about the three one lead uh, because you might jinx it. You know, we've seen so many blown three one leads uh, through the last five to ten years. So like the great Kobe Bryant said, job not finished. Uh, one more quick question here from Corey. He says, guys, what do you believe? What do you think about Beverly on the Clippers? I'm not a fan. He's a baby. Certainly, Isaiah, I think you want to have guys like this is because certainly this is not the bad boy Pistons era again of, you know, Rodman, Isaiah Thomas, Bill Lambeer, you know, guys really aren't out there enforcing or, you know, pushing guys or, you know, kind of in a way, like you said earlier, being that player that gets on the opponent's skin, though. I think that Pat Bev's act, that Pat Bev's act is a wee bit old, but I think though it's something that is in fact missing from this ball club, especially a team like the Clippers, though, who needs it like really bad. He gives them the fight. That's what he gives them. He gives them the fight, and he gives them uh, the dog mentality. But what I don't like about Pat Bev is, do you really have to complain about every single call that is called against you or every single, like, ball that you knock out of the opposing player's hand? Like, do you really have to do that? Like, that, I just think, is a wee bit too much from Patrick Beverly. But other than that, you know, I... I respect the hell out of the guy. I don't like him at all because he haunts my Lakers every single year. But uh, if I'm the Clippers, I would definitely keep him because he's a great defender. And certainly a guy that I think you need to have, though, especially in a, in a day where people call the NBA soft. He's the last guy kind of playing like 80s or 90s era basketball. With that, again, folks, Suns over the Clippers, 84-80 to, uh, again, get within one win of winning the Western Conference Championship. With that, Isaiah, over to pro baseball. And sadly, Isaiah, your beloved Philadelphia Phillies are nowhere close to being back. They blow another game today. 4-3, the Mets uh, win this one via a walk-off victory today from City Field. And, and with that, Isaiah, the Phillies are now 35-39 and 39 and playing in the worst division right now in all of Major League Baseball, which again has all but one team above 500 right now. I'm standing Isaiah. Floor is all yours, my man. What do you got? Callan, break out the shades, and I think you might uh, want to take a nap because by the time you're done taking that nap and you wake up, I I will I will probably just be about to wrap it up. But 
I don't know where to start, Cal, and I, I really don't. You know, this Phillies team, we this was our opportunity, our golden opportunity to climb back up in the NL East and to hopefully have a chance to win this division. We had a four-game set at City Field against the first-place leading New York Mets, and if we had taken three out of four, even swept the Mets, we would be right back in that race but instead no the Phillies decide oh yeah let's blow more games Callan you you said they blew one game well they actually blew two games today as they, I believe they had a double header and they blew um they had a lead in the seventh inning and they blew that of course because Hector Neris is pitching and then in the ninth inning Mr. Neris I don't even know why he comes in to pitch again for Joe Girardi which makes no sense whatsoever and he blows it again so I I, I really don't know what to say about this team Callan I know there's a famous video out there of me saying uh, after Dave Dombrowski got hired that, oh, Callan, the Phillies are back. Well, I'm telling you right now, the Phillies are not – what? no, no, they are back. They are back to playing AAA-level baseball, which they are because they are a AAA team. You know, I, I, I think I told you this earlier tonight that on my phone there, there, was, a, there was a button – that I would press that would give me notifications every time every time there was a Phillies game or there was an A's game. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I got so sick and tired of the Phillies blowing lead after lead after lead that I was like, nope, I'm done. Just cancel the rest of the season and I would not be, and I wouldn't even like care that the Phillies season ended because that's how pathetic the season has been. I disabled that feature on my phone three, four weeks ago, letting me know when there was a... It gets better, Isaiah. The A's just blew it against the Giants and lost in extra innings. Ten games of losing, Isaiah loses again. He's worse than Stephen Wayne. He's worse than Stephen Wayne. Skills keep on losing. Skull, 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 skull. Why does both of my team's bullpens just want to irritate me each and every game? The Phillies' bullpen has been a complete disaster for the last couple of years. Last year, I had to literally, in the ninth, in the seven, eight, nine innings, I had to make sure my fridge was stocked with a bunch of six-packs, and I would take one out, and I would finish the entire six-pack after every Phillies game because that's how 
that that's how wild that bullpen was. And I thought, you know, the A's, yeah, with Trevino, with Deakman, with Sergio Romo, with Trevor Rosenthal, <laughs> that we would have... <laughs> That we would have the deepest bullpen in all of baseball. And that I I would just, you know, not have to worry about the A's bullpen because I knew the A's bullpen was super reliable. And that I would only have to worry about the crap Phillies bullpen that is even worse than a hot pile of rubbish. But the A's bullpen, I don't understand. Jake Deakman, you had a. Here's me. There's you there. Deakman had a zero point four seven ERA last season. He was terrific. Yusmero Petit had, I believe, a two point five seven ERA. But I might be wrong on the exact ERA number. But he was lights out for the A's. And Trevino, you know, he's been a pleasant surprise this year. But all these guys, they were supposed to be the rock of this bullpen. In instead. They look like the Phillies bullpen. I think that I'm watching three Hector Neris's out there pitching for the Oakland A's. That's how bad the Phillies or the A's bullpen has been. But back to the Phillies, you know, Callan. Hector Neris needs to be cut immediately, and he should not only not be allowed to play for you know, triple-A, double-A, or single-A, he shouldn't even be allowed to play for the Mexican League or the Chinese Baseball League or the Korean Baseball League or the Japanese Baseball League because he would blow it there as well. He shouldn't be allowed to play baseball again. People, they need to force him to retire because this dude is terrible, man. I don't know why Joe Girardi brings him in every single ninth inning. I didn't, even, I haven't even watched the last nine, like the last couple of nine innings for the Phillies because I know that when Hector Neris enters the game, I. I just know that he's going to blow the game. So I'm not surprised that he blew it a couple of times today. That's that's what the Phillies get for not spending money on bullpen. What has the last couple of World Series champions, why have they been successful? Because they have had a rock-solid bullpen. You look at the Royals, the 20s. Uh, 2015 Royals. Then you look at the Dodgers. You look at other teams that won the World Series. They have a great bullpen. And yet the Phillies decide, oh, we can spend all of our money, all of our stupid money on our lineup. We can spend it all on our starting rotation. But when it comes to the bullpen, yeah, we'll get a bunch of relievers off the street and we'll, we'll plug them in and that they'll work because we don't even need a bullpen because our, our lineup will hit 50 will hit like we'll score 15 runs a game that doesn't work that way in baseball you need to have a great bullpen to in order to win games and the Phillies they don't have anybody I think that Joe Girardi can trust in that bullpen because Neris you can't trust him at all Alvarado I mean this guy throws 98 to 100 but he's more wilder than me when it comes to pitching on the mound. That's how bad he is. Sam Coonrod, same thing. Guy throws like 97 to 100, but the guy can't find the plate most of the time. And then you have like other guys like Connor Brogdon. He's been all right, but he's not, you know, a 
eight inning or nine inning guy. You have had like other guys step in Ranger Suarez, uh, the rookie. He's been decent, but he's not, you know, a late inning guy. The Phillies have nobody on their bullpen right now. That's why I am done with the Phillies. That's why the Phillies aren't going to win anything this year. That's why the Phillies aren't even going to win anything next year. That's why the Phillies aren't even going to win anything for the next 10 years. It's because they don't spend any money on that bullpen. And instead, they always try to plug guys off the street to pitch in that bullpen. And it never, ever, ever, ever works. And I don't know why they haven't learned their lesson yet. Isaiah, if there's one very teeny tiny bright spot for the Phillies today, they scored runs off Jacob DeGrom. Like nobody has done that all year today. So that like may, that might be like the one like very teeny tiny constellation prize for the uh, for the afternoon today. I saw that, Cal, and I saw that they scored um, one or two two runs, I believe, off Jacob DeGrom. But then I turned it off right after Zach Eflin left the game because I was like, yep, we're going to blow it again. Don't even need to watch the rest of this game because we already know the ending. I mean, you could just forget even needing to play games for the Phillies. Let's just, you know, print scores on papers and print the, uh, the wrap-up on paper and just print it saying the Phillies lost because the blow the bullpen blew it because that's what 80% of Phillies games results are going to be. I mean, at this rate, that's really all I can blame it on is on the bullpen and how it's been used. Casey, I agree. Phillies need pitching. Corey also says I'm a big Yankees fan, but they are not playing very well. They also sadly lost today again to the Red Sox and the Red Sox have won the first five games of that longtime rivalry. Casey has a question for you, Isaiah. Will Girardi be fired at the end of the season? What do you think? I don't think he will because he's a very well-respected manager. But let me tell, let me say something about Joe Girardi. When Joe Girardi stepped in to manage the Phillies, I was so excited. You know, there was a post on my Facebook saying, oh my gosh, we got Joe Girardi. I've been wanting Joe Girardi ever since, you know, the Phillies fired Charlie Manuel. I think Joe Girardi is going to be a great manager. I even compared Joe Girardi to Bill freaking Belichick, Callan. That's how crazy I got on Joe Girardi. Well, guess what? Joe, Joe Girardi's not looking like Bill Belichick. What? Joe Girardi is looking like Matt Nagy. I don't know what has gotten into him. Maybe, maybe the Yankees or MLB Network, you know, cloned another Joe Girardi and took the original. Because that is not the Joe Girardi that I know and I watched at uh, manage the New York Yankees. I'm telling you, this Joe Girardi looks Complete opposite to what the Joe Girardi that I saw manage the New York Yankees. And I think that his reputation is taking a big hit this season with the Philadelphia Phillies, although it's not really his fault. Oh, the fact you brought up Matt Nagy, though, was great. Uh, I don't see Girardi getting fired either. I think that there's a longer leash with Girardi. Uh, I think this, I think, though, falls at the feet, though, of the front office more than it's on Girardi. Again, he really, I mean, I know it's on him, though, to get the right guys in there. But again, it, it, it I think it's a little too early to kind of start throwing uh, managers under the bus. And also real quick, uh, Christy Wilson has a great point. He says, guys, let's face it. The Phillies suck. I blame Bryce Harper. I do too. Oh yeah. I mean, for sure. Uh, it's because of that third 
Well, I don't really blame Bryce Harper. I blame more of the front office because they use analytics so, so much. And the analytics always say that, hey, when it comes to bullpens, you can go cheap on them. I mean, that's what the A's have been doing. Like, look at the A's bullpen. The guys that are on their bullpen right now, Lou Trevino, He's on a rookie contract. Sergio Romo, one year, $3.5 million. Yusmero Petit, one year, $2 million. Jake Diekman, I think he's on a one-year deal worth like three or four million. Analytics always say to go cheap on bullpen, and the Phillies have been following that for years, and it just never, ever works. So I don't really blame Harper. I blame more of the front office uh, trusting the analytics and not, you know, not doing old school baseball and doing what you're supposed to do in baseball and putting more money and more resources into fixing that bullpen. If there is blame for the Harper contract at the front office, it's because this contract looks like an absolute L because there's no opt-out clause, no trade clause. Like this is literally Harper in Philadelphia for 13 years, you know, wasting his life away where he could have gone somewhere else, maybe after seven years, six years, five years, you know, Having those opt-outs in there, they certainly done, and they obviously uh, dropped the ball in a big-time situation right there. But again, folks, the Phillies uh, bit again by the bullpen, 4-3. The Mets walk off today. The Phillies are again 35-39, and 39. and again, the NL East has only one team right now above 500 in the National League Eastern Division standings. With that, Isaiah, the Arizona Diamondbacks were trying their best to snap a 24-game losing streak, buddy. They finally did so at the hands of my San Diego Padres 10-1 Arizona from Petco Park. And also a very alarming note for Padre fans, Nelson Lamette leaves his start early, uh, holding his right uh, arm and elbow again after two and a third innings of work today. So yes, the D-backs win for the first time on the road in over a month. That was uh, the last road win for the D-backs before tonight was that seven-inning doubleheader, uh, no-hitter, thrown today, uh, or thrown, I should say, by Madison Bumgarner. But Isaiah, though the Padres will be the butt end of jokes, though, Arizona was bound to win a road game eventually. And I think, though, that I heard a very, you know, not really interesting story, though, but certainly one that I think, though, you know, sucks to hear, though, is that David Peralta, one of the longer tenured members of the D-backs, literally, I believe, recently went around the dugout and was chewing out teammates and getting in guys' faces and trying to be that vocal leader. But at the same time, though, maybe having to step on guys' toes, though, because Isaiah, this is obviously going to be probably a year, though, where the D-backs still lose 100-plus games, maybe 115-plus games this season. And certainly that, you know, blame can be can be cast on Tory Lovello, can be cast on the front office or on the ball club. But Isaiah, I've been a part of teams who've had long losing streaks, man. And there comes those times, though, where you kind of have to, you know, chew guys out or get in guys' faces or maybe have some bit, you know, have a couple of, you know, altercations to kind of get the guys to snap back into reality. And I know it's been, they've been, the you know, a punching bag and they barely won their 10th game on the road, though. But certainly Isaiah, bound to happen today, though. But I think, though, Isaiah, for, for Arizona's sake, though, I know a lot of people, probably yourself included, say this is all on Tory Lovello. I think, though, Isaiah, this falls more, though, on the Diamondbacks front office for, again, the Paul Goldschmidt trade years ago, you know, renting Zach Granke for a bit, renting JT Martinez for a bit, though. But not having any sort of backup plans, though, or anyone in the pipeline to help kind of, you know, tape up or bandage those wounds though, or, 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 or uh, cover up those gaping holes. So, but certainly, Isaiah, I could see Cattell Marte being moved. I know he got hurt again tonight, though, with his hamstring issues. David Peralta could be moved. I don't know about that Bumgarner contract at this rate. 
Uh, maybe even Eduardo Escobar gets dealt away from Arizona, but certainly though Isaiah, definitely some tough sledding right now in Phoenix, but obviously the uh, D-backs get their first road win in well over a month as they beat the Padres handily 10-1. to But Isaiah, more so, what are your thoughts right now about Arizona? Probably the worst record right now in the entire major leagues. They came in today 29 games out of first place in the National League Western Division today, trailing San Francisco, L.A., San Diego, and, of course, Colorado. But, Isaiah, whereabouts, though, is the blame in your mind, though, on why the D-backs are having a miserable season? Is it on Tori Lavello, the manager, the front office, or the entire team as a whole? What are you thinking why? I think it's on everybody. You know, when you lose that many games in a row on the road and when you are that many games under 500 you can't just blame one person you know you have to blame the entire organization i think from top to bottom the front office has done a piss poor job uh the manager tory lavello i I like tory lavello i think he's a good guy i think he can manage the game of baseball um and i just feel so bad for him because he made the playoffs i believe the first couple of years of his tenure in arizona and it's just been downhill ever since and i think that there's i i really do believe that he's going to be gone after this season or they might even can him mid-season depending on how things go the rest of the year but i think lavello's gone um i think you know like you said Callan escobar uh, I think he's going to be dealt. Um, Peralta, I think he has to be dealt because, like you said, there's been a lot of altercations in the locker room, and they might view it as him being a cancer to the locker room. So I could see him definitely being moved. And, you know, for Arizona, I really don't understand. You know, they had – it started back when Dave Stewart was the general manager and Tony LaRusa was the president of baseball operations. And they were – they said in their press conference when they got hired that they wanted to rebuild this team. You know, Arizona Arizona was in a rebuild. They had traded away a bunch of their players and they were going to rebuild this team and keep Paul Goldschmidt like what Atlanta did when, you know, Freddie Freeman had first come up. Chipper Jones was on his way out. Brian McCann was on his way out. You know, all these veterans were on their way out and they, you know, shipped a bunch of them out, you know, just to rebuild the team around Freddie Freeman. And that's what um, Arizona wanted to do around Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, But I, and then after like, couple of years they go out and sign Zach Greinke to a six-year contract in the middle of a rebuild like I did not understand that deal at that time um it really boggled my mind that they signed him to that big contract um I think like that was I guess they wanted to contend but you, you just said like two years ago you wanted to rebuild now you want to contend so which which way or do you really want to go and then they just kept making moves that made you scratch your head and made you go like what are you doing like are you trying to rebuild or are you trying to contend so i think that's where arizona's problems lie is the fact that the previous front office and also this front office just can't decide whether they want to fully tear everything down and rebuild or whether they want to contend because it seems like they want to rebuild at first and then they start making moves that uh, push them towards contention and then they make other moves that like trading Paul Goldschmidt that makes you think oh they're tearing everything down so I think Arizona the, if they clean house firing the manager and also cleaning house the front office I think they need to find a one true direction they really want to go um, before you can really turn this ball club up yeah you can really turn this ball club up yeah I think Isaiah the last thing you want to see though is a team though who they're stuck in the middle. You know, they play the Jimmy Eat World song, The Middle on Loop, basically. And it's like, do we want to rebuild? Do we want to go and get some, you know, contend? 
And I think it's what I think kind of, I think has set the D-backs franchise back for where they're at right now, though, because of the uncertainty, like, you know, do we want to really, you know, rebuild? Do we want to go and, you know, go the route of going, you know, this way or going the, re you know, going the route of rebuilding or going the route of contending? And certainly I, I don't know, though, folks, how the how the blame can be cast, though, on one person. I think, though, that more so that this is a whole entire organizational issue of kind of being at that fork in the road of regards to rebuilding or contending and kind of, you know, not really picking a side. And I do know, though, of course, folks, that the, that the uh, D-backs were bound to eventually win a game on the road eventually. And, of course, it happened to come at the expense of my Padres, though, today. 10-1 Arizona defeats the uh, Padres tonight from Petco Park in San Diego. Uh, Christy Wilson chimes in to say real quick, feels like a, a uh, full eternity, Cal, since the D-backs won the World Series back in 2001. Uh, 20 years of waiting for the D-backs since. And also, Casey King says... That the Phillies front office needs fire uh, needs fixing. Wouldn't get rid of Girardi either, but you know how it is in Phillies. They run athletes and coaches out of town. But again, folks, more more than else, the Diamondbacks have won a road game finally after a 24 game a losing streak on the road. It is the longest in the modern era of baseball. Uh, Arizona beat San Diego 10 to one uh, to snap that road losing streak. And for the Padres' sake, though, you know, for the eight game win streak coming to a close today, though. I have really got to give a lot of, you know, props to my hometown ball club and for the fan base here, though this is about Arizona. But this is, tonight was a was a very, you know, like changing of times, hopefully, where for the first time maybe in a long time, I didn't see anybody leave Petco Park early because of the scoreline, you know, going up one nothing, 2 nothing, you know, 4 6 8 10 nothing for Arizona that nobody left the ballpark on Saturday. So I, I, I know, of course, that this is, you know, only the eighth game of the entire season without fan or with uh, fans being at full capacity in San Diego. But certainly, you know, normally, you know, in regular years, though, I would have, uh, if I was there, I would have already been out the door myself and probably have gone home. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Just probably would have hung, uh, hung around, walked around the ballpark, though. But certainly for the Padre fans, though, uh, great to see them stick around, though. And obviously, I know it was a, a rough game, though, for the Padre offense. Again, they lose 10-1, to 1, though. But certainly, uh don't see that a lot, though, where, you know, uh, you don't see it a lot usually where a ball club is getting blown out and not many people leave the ballpark, though. But certainly the Padres, again, faltering 10-1, though, to Arizona. And again, the D-backs snapped that lengthy and historic 24-game losing streak uh, on the road tonight with that victory over San Diego uh, here tonight, again, at Petco Park. And also for the Padres, again, folks, no clear announcement yet, though, from the ball club, though, as I mentioned, I was watching the game today on Valley Sports San Diego, but there's been no official announcement from what I've gathered yet from A.J. Cassville or any Padre beat writers or uh, Padre media who has said about Lamette's early exit tonight uh, from the ball game again. But Lamette was pulled, though, from this game after two and a third innings of work, though, but appeared, though, from my vantage point, though, uh, to be having his arm, his throwing arm, in somewhat of a, like, uh, in like in somewhat of a like uh, hanging sort of manner. Again, uh, Lamette's been having some very rough arm problems. He's been very much plagued by Tommy John, and certainly the look on his face and how he kind of walked off the mound though just kind of proved to me though that he's hurt. And again, nothing too serious though. We will try our best to get some reports though on the line uh, via Twitter and see what we can uh, find out or find for you folks. But again, certainly though, folks, that this again throws another wrench though. In the uh, you know in the plans though for the Padres is again about the rotational depth right now because again you have no Mike Clevenger of a season and Denelson Lamette has sadly been a pitcher who has been plagued by injury 
mainly since he was called up though years ago, he's been having, you know, the same sort of like elbow impingements or elbow issues in general. And certainly, folks, the last thing I think anyone wants to see though is see another player or a pitcher of Lamed's caliber uh go down again with Tommy John. Again, he's already had to recover from it once. Certainly, though, guys, you know, try their best to come back after a second time and things of that caliber. But again, folks are trying our best to find some more information here uh, about Lamette's health real quick. But also, folks, the only like minor gripe I have here about the Padres tonight is the Padres choosing to give a couple of players a night off. Now, folks, I get about giving guys a night off, though. But when you are rolling great, though, you've won eight straight games at home. You've had, you know, full capacity. You swept the Reds. You swept the Dodgers. You took the first game from Arizona. This is not the time when your ball club is, you know, is riding a very good wave of, a wave of momentum. This is not when you start changing your lineup. And I think that tonight, though, but sadly, that Jace Tingler uh, kind of, I think, though, try to give, you know, do guys a favor, though. But sadly, like we say, folks, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And Jerickson Profar started the game tonight for the Padres in right field. Uh, Webster Rivas started this game for the Padres behind the plate tonight. But again, though, when, when everything is going right, you don't change your apples. You know, I think that's the one thing I've learned in my time as a ball player and helping my dad coach when I was out of high school and kind of starting off college was that if you have a lineup that's going great, you've got to keep that lineup in check and you got to keep that lineup as consistent as possible. Now I've, uh, now, I've liked, though, over the past couple of games, though, that they've had Tommy Pham leading off. They've had Fernando Tatis Jr. batting second. Uh, they've had, you know, uh, Jake Cronenworth hitting third and Machado hitting fourth, though. But again, though, I know that Will Myers has been scuffling a little bit as of late. I know that um, that Caratini, that Victor Caratini needs a break here and there, though. But I'm not a fan, though, of when teams are going great and they're having, you know, very good uh, win streaks going on again, eight games, or they're having win streaks. This is not when you change your lineup. I think it's the only knock, I think, tonight on Jace Tingler, but also you really can't prep, I think, though, for having back-to-back -back games of having your starting pitcher only go two and a third innings. So, again, Chris Paddock was very, very overworked on Friday uh, because of long at-bats and foul balls and walks and uh, stuff like that. We're tonight with Lamette, though, missing location, too many pitches up in the zone, though. They're being hit for base hits, home runs, doubles, extra base hits. And then certainly, though, when he leaves the game, though, kind of holding his arm underneath his glove, though, to kind of, you know, I think, like, take stress off of, off his elbow. That's where things, that's where I think, though, that's where I think, though, that things kind of get a little bit hairy if you're a Padres fan again. And certainly uh, things uh, going wrong. But again, folks, we have not seen, uh, just checking Twitter real quick, uh, nothing uh, going on here in regards to um, injury. But per a quick report, folks, via Twitter from KWFN, the Padres radio station, 97.3 The Fam, uh, 97.3 The Fam, they report about 35 minutes ago that Jace Tingler said in his post-game press conference that Lamette was having trouble, uh, trouble gripping his slider tonight, and there was a drop in his velocity. He said there was some fatigue in his forearm area, and he was removed tonight out of abundance of caution. Tingler says that they'll wait to see how things look on Sunday morning. So again, uh, we'll have hopefully a better report, though, about how, in fact, um, his health will, in fact, be as time does go on. But again, the Diamondbacks win for the first time in a long time on the road, snapping a 24-game skid on the road, 10-1 D-backs over the Padres tonight from Petco Park in San Diego. Also, folks, in the College World Series, our final matchup is set, is set in stone coming up uh, over the course of the next week or so as Mississippi State walks off Texas today. 4-3 Bulldogs walk off the Longhorns in what was a back-and-forth ball game on this Saturday night. 
As again, Mississippi State walks off with a RBI base hit in the home half of the ninth inning after a very, very great game played by both uh, sides um, here uh, from Omaha, Nebraska today. As again, Mississippi State holds off uh, Texas today. Again, with a walk-off victory for the Bulldogs, 4-3, the final score for Mississippi State over Texas. Set up again, Mississippi State taking on Vanderbilt in the 2021 Men's College World Series coming up from Omaha, Nebraska, uh, early starting next week. Uh, with that, folks, some other news, though, and we are, in fact, though, waiting for Isaiah to get back in on uh, getting, back, uh, getting back in the stream here. Again, he's had some uh, tech problems, sadly, at his home up in Fremont. Uh, but again, folks, keep those questions, comments, or concerns coming as we await for Isaiah to get back into the stream. But once more, folks, um, we'll go to uh, probably a very hot story. Uh, certainly, I think, though, one that I think, though, has rocked college baseball uh, over the past couple of days or so uh, has certainly been uh, the very interesting story about North Carolina State being forced to forfeit their games with Vanderbilt, though, of course, that Vanderbilt won the game to move on. Into the, uh, into the College World Series, though. But, folks, this very interesting press release was uh, made, be, uh, made via ESPN, though, uh, as of Friday. And, uh, of course, folks, now a quick backstory here about this for Saturday is that uh, NC State, folks, had a breach of COVID-19 protocols that knocked about 13 players uh, out of the uh, game that they had played against uh, Vanderbilt earlier uh, just before the week ended. And basically, per the report gathered here, folks, is that the statement that reads here, this again is courtesy of ESPN sources. This is a uh, uh, NCAA statement on COVID-19 protocols for Vanderbilt versus NC State matchup on Saturday. It reads in full here that the NCAA Division I Baseball Committee has declared the Vanderbilt uh, NC State Men's College World Series game scheduled for Saturday at 1 p.m. Central Time a no contest because of COVID-19 protocols. This decision was made on the recommendation of the championship uh, medical team and Douglas County Health Department. And as a result, Vanderbilt will advance to the uh, College World Series finals. NCAA and the committee uh, regret that NC State's uh, student athletes and uh, coaching staff will not be able to partake uh, or be able to continue in the championship series in which they have earned the right to partake because of privacy issues. We cannot provide any further details. So Isaiah, I think, though, man, this is a very somewhat interesting situation, ma'am, that we had transpire over the weekend, essentially, that we are in the middle of this very great NC State um, Vanderbilt series, though. But, Sally, man, you heard the rumblings, though, of NC State playing this game with about 13 guys off their roster because of COVID issues. They ended up losing the game, though, but they couldn't get a chance to get back at Vandy because of, as mentioned, those COVID protocols in place. However, I say, I don't know, though, if a lot of people agree, though, with the way that they handled the situation very late at night. Your thoughts on how, in fact, this whole thing went down is what, man? I feel extremely bad for the student athletes because these guys worked their butts off all season long. And for the NCAA to do this, I just feel like it's really unfair. You know, I feel like that if you're going to do this, give people a certain amount of time of notification don't do it just in the middle of the night and be like, yeah, you, you know, uh, NC State, they won't be able to go the next game. Uh, Vanderbilt moves on. Like, I just think that that was just extremely unfair. And I feel really bad for, you know, all the NC State um, student athletes that missed out on an opportunity to 
uh, to potentially compete again in the College World Series. Isaiah, this is the best time of the year if you're a baseball fan. You have the pros going on, you've got the draft coming up, and then you got the College World Series, man. And certainly, you know, and, and folks, and certainly, if you're a baseball fan, this is basically like Christmas morning. I mean, you get yourself, you know, Major League Baseball going on. You've got plenty of things going on with, you know, with, with Major League Baseball, the draft coming up, and of course, the College World Series, but certainly Isaiah. I think, though, I, I, I've talked, or not talked, but I've seen a lot of the banter, a lot of the chatter amongst, you know, friends of mine who play college baseball, D1 or D2, and certainly they are both, they're all irate. And I think that a lot of baseball fans, especially, I know, of course, about NC State fans, though, I think, though, Isaiah, if you're a baseball fan in general, this was the last thing you wanted to see happen was, you know, what a crappy way for a team to find out they're not going to be able to play again because... Oh, because you violated, you know, that he had COVID issues. Sorry, you can't play, you know, end of your season. Sorry, sorry, but get out of here. Yeah, you know, that's why, like, this pandemic, I feel like, has been, you know, re really harsh on everybody. You know, there was, I think, the NCAA tournament a few years or a couple or in 2020 that it got canceled because the pandemic was raging, uh, raging its ugly head. And, you know, all the seniors and everybody, they missed out on a wonderful opportunity. I know, uh, Sabrina Nasu, the star from Oregon, she was really upset because her opportunity, she felt like Oregon was the best team in women's basketball that year. And she felt like her golden opportunity to win the national title got taken away. And then, you know, um, this year, I think in the NCAA tournament again, Cal, and we had uh, another situation, but I think it was on the men's side, and that was Oregon. There was a game that had to be forfeited because of COVID, yes. Yes, yes. I think it was Oregon that uh, forfeited its game against VCU because they had COVID. So I felt bad for all the players there, and then now this happened. So it's just a really terrible situation for, you know, everybody involved, for the NCAA, for the players, the families, and the coaches. You know, it, it's just a really bad situation. Certainly for sure. But again, folks, this damning announcement made by the NCAA on Saturday in regards to the uh, COVID protocol issues affecting uh, North Carolina State University. But again, a statement reading in part that the NCAA, uh, that the NCAA D1 Baseball Committee declared the Vanderbilt NC State uh, Men's College World Series game scheduled for Saturday at 1 p.m. Central Time. A no contest because of COVID-19 protocols decision made uh, by, uh, by via recommendation of the championship medical team in Douglas County Health Department. As a result, Vanderbilt uh, will move on to the College World Series Finals, and the committee regrets that NC State's uh, student-athletes and coaching staff will not be able to continue in the championship series in which they earned the right to participate in per privacy issues. They cannot provide any further details on the matter at hand, and certainly I think, though, a shockwave felt throughout the course of college baseball. Christy Wilson agrees, saying, wow, this is crazy. I feel that the NCAA was being really harsh and really unfair. And also, Edward Lee wants to poke fun at Isaiah. Giants beat the A's. Simple as that. With that, Isaiah, we'll get to a couple more stories, man. We'll hopefully save a few of these for the night shift on Sunday. But of course, Isaiah, two new head coaches are in for the NBA. That is Chauncey Billups in Portland and Jason Kidd down in Dallas with the Mavericks. Isaiah, give us, a, uh, give us your thoughts on both these guys getting coaching jobs in Portland and in Dallas. Um, the Jason Kidd hire, I like that hire by Dallas because I think we're going to get a renewed Jason Kidd in Dallas because Jason Kidd knows Callan that this is his 
third head coaching opportunity. Many guys in the NBA don't even get two, let alone three. So I think that this is his last opportunity to show that he can be a very successful NBA head coach. And if he doesn't, well, he's never going to be a head coach again. So I think we'll see a renewed Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd is a He's an outstanding basketball mind. Luka Doncic is an outstanding basketball mind. They speak the same language in terms of uh, the basketball on the basketball court, you know, both point guards. So they see the game the same way. So I think that, you know, Luka and Jake Kidd would have will have a great partnership. The only thing I'm worried about Jason Kidd is that when he was in Milwaukee, the thing that, you know, a lot of people were bothered by with Jason Kidd is that he was very stubborn. You know, he was he would install a defensive scheme and it would look so good. The Bucks would look so good playing with that defensive scheme um, for the first half of the season. And then they would have a second half meltdown because everybody, you know, NBA coaches, they would have. They would figure it out watching film and all that stuff. They would figure it out. And then Jay Kidd would not adjust. He would not make adjustments. That was kind of what was the knock on him in both Brooklyn and Milwaukee. So hopefully, you know, his time spent on Frank Vogel's staff that he has learned from his previous mistakes. Um, and if he has and he if, he if he can assemble a great coaching staff around him that is not filled of yes man, but filled with solid coaches I think Jason Kidd could do a great job and in terms of Chauncey Billups you know Callan it's hard to knock this higher but I'm gonna do it anyways because I don't think Portland should have hired a first-time head coach I think they should have went with a known commodity in Mike D'Antoni I think Mike D'Antoni he would have been a great fit for the um, for the Portland Trailblazers, a team that needs to win now. Yes, I know Dame Lillard and Chauncey Billups, they have a great relationship, but we don't know how Chauncey Billups is going to be, you know, making that transition as a coach. You know, Steve Nash, he, yes, he led the Brooklyn Nets to the second round of the playoffs, but there was some bumps along uh, on the road. So, I wouldn't have gone that route if I was Portland. I just think that Portland right now with all that pressure, hiring a first-time head coach is not really the way to go. And another thing is, you know, he has a friendship with Damian Lillard. How is he going to balance that? How is he going to, you know, treat Dame on the court? Is he going to be, you know, extra special to Dame? Is he going to, you know, do whatever Dame wants him to do? I, I just don't know about this hire, Khaled. You certainly don't want to see Billups start doing the Clippers treatment with Lillard in Portland because they're bros. And certainly, I think, though, that Jason Kidd, Isaiah, you're right, though. I think he knows, though, this is his third chance to, to, to make an impact as a head coach. But certainly, I think, though, he's going to do it, though, with an organization he's familiar with, though, in Dallas. Again, Cuban, you know, the philosophy, the mindset. And also, I think, though, with having Doncic and Porzingis helps, you know, does wonders or will do wonders for him now. But I think, though, I agree, though, about Portland. They could have waited a bit longer, you know, to get a established, you know, name like a Dan Tony, maybe a Budenholzer if he gets canned from Milwaukee, if they don't go to the finals or they don't, you know, get out of round three or they lose the finals, maybe who knows. But certainly, I think though, Isaiah, that certainly, I think that Dallas has the better guy in place right now. Portland, I'm a little leery about like you though, because again, you know, personal ties though with, um, you know, with, with Dame and with, uh, uh, and, and with uh, Bill Ups, and then, of course, uh, Jace Kidd, though, knows all about the philosophy that, that Cuban has, though, in Dallas. Certainly things, you know, I think 
Dallas is set up right now for a great future. Portland, I'm a little concerned about, but not too, too concerned though. But Isaiah, back over to you. What do you got? I also want to add something when it comes to, you know, talking about these new coaches that were hired. You know, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about Boston hiring um, Ime Udoka, the Nets assistant. I want to say that for that hire, I don't like that hire as well. Not because I don't think Ime Udoka is a good coach. I think he can coach the game of basketball. But, Callan, when you look at the Boston Celtics, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, that's a team that needs to win now. That's why Brad Stevens, I felt like, was moved to the front office because they weren't really uh, meeting expectations and getting the job done in Boston. So, Boston needs to win now, and I think they would have been better off uh, served getting a veteran head coach in Rick Carlisle instead of Ime Udoka. You know, Ime Udoka, I don't want to knock the guy. Uh, I mean, the guy has coached for, you know, some great coaches in our league like Greg Popovich. Um, you know, I think he was a part of Doc Rivers' staff as well. I think he also coached with Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni this past season in Brooklyn. He's also coached some great players like Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, uh, Joel Embiid, among others, Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili as well. The guy can coach the game of basketball, and he deserves to be a head coach. But I just think that with Brad Stevens moving into the front office, I think he hired – the reason why he hired a first-time head coach is I think he wants him to be his puppet. That's what I'm kind of fearing in Boston is that I may Ime Udoka won't get to do what he truly wants to do. It's going to be Brad Stevens pulling the strings from above and telling Udoka what to do on the sidelines. And I think, personally, that Stevens is 0 for 2 right now with this coaching hire meeting people's minds, but also that trade for Kemba Walker going to Oklahoma City as well. With that, Isaiah, we're running out of time for the show into tonight's Game Balls segment for this Saturday night. Again, we are, uh, folks, up against the clock right now. But with that, though, Isaiah, who is getting a game ball from you on this Saturday night? Wow. Um, you know, this is very tough. Uh, but, you know... Callan, I was thinking about this. How about a game ball for Hector Neris for making my night even more stressful? Um, but, but you know, obviously I'm kidding. But uh, obviously I'm kidding. But in all seriousness, though, I got to give it to Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns. You know, the Phoenix Suns, a lot of people did not have them, you know, getting like a top seed in or before the season, they get the number two seed in the loaded Western conference. And then a lot of people going into the playoffs were like, yeah, the sun's got the number two seed, but are we sure they're for real? Maybe it's just because of this like 72 game season and everybody getting hurt and all that stuff. And they have quieted the doubters. They have played outstanding basketball. They knocked out LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers. Then they go and sweep the Denver Nuggets, albeit without Jamal Murray, but still very, very impressive. And then they go and now take a 3-1 lead against the Los Angeles Clippers and Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns. I, I still can't believe, like, I, I'm saying this, but they're now one win away from going to the NBA Finals, which I never would have thought in my wildest dreams would have happened. So uh, if I could give, you know, I'm not even, I'm not just going to give one game ball, but I'm going to give 
16 game balls, 15 to all the players, and one to Monty Williams, the head coach of the Phoenix Suns. Everybody in that Suns organization deserves a game ball for the way they turned that team around and also for the way that they have performed this season and also the postseason as well. You know, I think Monty Williams should have won Coach of the Year. I don't know why they gave it to, to a Tom Thibodeau, but hey, it is what it is. We don't. Well, we we obviously, if we had votes, they would have gone to Monty Williams. Uh, my one game ball, Isaiah, goes to the Montreal Canadiens of the NHL, the team that no one picked to go anywhere in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Can obviously very weird year for the NHL again. All the Canadian teams playing each other all season for fifty-six games, and the Canadians, I believe, entered the entered the postseason. At 500 to 1 odds to win the Stanley Cup. They've not won the Cup in, since, 90, uh, since 93. And they took out, you know, uh, some very great teams on their way to the Cup final. They took out Toronto, they took out Winnipeg, and they took out the Vegas Golden Knights. Now they're going to play Tampa Bay for the Stanley Cup playoffs. And also Cole Caulfield is an absolute stud and, uh, for Montreal. And also Carey Price proving all the doubters wrong. So props to Montreal. Looking to get the uh, first Canadian Stanley Cup in 28 years. So either the Suns will win the NBA title for the first time since 93, or at least, you know, get back to the finals, or we'll have ourselves having the Canadiens win their 25th Stanley Cup in their first since 1993. Also, a couple of quick comments. Uh, Christy Wilson first says, feel bad for Becky Hammond, though. Should have gotten the job or should have gotten either of the jobs. She also says that her game ball goes to the Vegas Golden Knights and Alec Martinez, who played the entire postseason. With a broken foot. Isaiah, that just shows you again, my man, that hockey players are built differently. Hey, man. Uh, props to him, man. I, 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 Callan, I could not even stand up from running up and down a basketball court with sore, like, because I had sore legs, let alone play with a broken foot. So uh, much, much props and love towards him. You know, folks. Like I said, hockey players are are a different breed, and the Stanley Cup is still the hardest trophy to win in pro sports. Don't at me. With that, we'll Go now shots. move on over, folks, into tonight's final thought. Time to wrap things up here, folks. On this Saturday night, we have sadly though lost Isaiah right before the midnight hour, though here on this Saturday. But I, I do though, folks, uh, know though that um. Again, just Alec Martinez, though, playing that entire postseason with that broken foot, though, for the Vegas Golden Knights. Absolutely insane. Isaiah, over to you for your final thoughts. What do you got for us? Wow, Callan, uh, it was great to be back doing the night shift. You know, we hadn't done the night shift in a long, long time. So great to be back doing the show. Um, I want to thank all of our viewers out there for tuning in. I want to thank Christy Wilson, Edward Lee, uh, Casey King, Corey Goodridge. Um, as well as uh, I think Big B, Brandon Herrera as well for tuning into our program. You know, we love you guys for supporting us and giving us so much love. Um, thank you guys so much for that. We really appreciate it. Uh, but my final thoughts, Callan, is two things. Number one is, guys, make sure to tune in tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time, me and Steven will be representing the MI6 Sports Network and we will be going up against the folks from coast to coast for a little family field. Uh, it'll be coast to coast versus MI6. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be the battle of the network. So make sure you guys tune in uh, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. 
Pacific time. And uh, Callan, I will try not to embarrass the MI6 Sports Network on Family Field, but knowing me, I probably will do it anyways. But um, uh, the second thing I have to say is the guy that the guy that everybody's not talking about for the home run derby is my guy, Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy absolutely deserves to be in the home run Yes, Callan. You know I had to bring it up. I know he's hitting 208 right now, or he's hitting 210 right now, but Sean Murphy absolutely needs to be in the home run derby. When this guy hits a home run, it's not a cheapie. It's a moonshot, man. When this guy is able to barrel something up and knock it out of the ballpark. Imagine his power at Coors Field. We might be seeing some 480-foot shots and 500-foot shots from Sean Murphy at the Home Run Derby. So AL captains, put Murph in the Home Run Derby. Isaiah, you do realize that Fernando Tatis Jr. hit three moonshot homers for his first ever three-homer game on Friday, right? Oh, I, I realize. You do that realize that he's got 25 on the year, right? Yes, I do realize that. You still would rather have Sean Murphy on your team over the face of baseball? Can I have a couple of years? No. My 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 take of Sean Murphy over Fernando Tatis was was projected for a couple of years down the road, Cal. I'll put it that way. No, that is not how it works, sir. I should never have even brought up Sean Murphy's name for for final thoughts. Now I'm even regretting it. With that in mind, folks, we are approaching midnight here on the West Coast for this Sunday. And uh, Christy, thank you very much. I will take Tatis Jr. Thank you and good night, Isaiah. Uh, I think every baseball fan out there, even if they don't root for the Padres or hate the Padres, would even pick Fernando Tatis Jr. over Sean Murphy. With that, though, folks, up until uh, Sunday. Again, we'll be back with you folks here on Sunday night to recap more games and uh, bring you folks Game 3 of the Eastern Conference Finals and also plenty of more baseball and other big news, as usual, folks, here on the Night Shift again. So with that in mind, folks, for yours truly, Cal McClurg, and for Isaiah Leung, and for the entire cast and crew here of the MI6 Sports Network, we'll see you folks back here later on Sunday evening for another episode of the Night Shift back at our usual 10 o'clock p.m. start time back here inside of the MI6 Sports Network, folks. Till next time, good night and bye-bye. <laughs>